On today's episode of the Dad Tired Podcast, we cover the very difficult and painful topic of infertility. If this is something that you have personally experienced or you know somebody who has, I highly recommend that you listen or pass it on to a friend who could use the encouragement. Many of the guys in our Dad Tired community have also experienced this pain and would love to process with you. If you're not yet part of our private community, you can go to dadtired.com forward slash join and become a member now. I want to thank my friends over at Hyatt Health for sponsoring today's episode and making it possible. I know some of you dads listening may not be giving too much thought about the vitamins that your kids are taking, or maybe you just leave it up to your wife to make those decisions, but I want to challenge you to give this some thought. Hyatt Health was actually started by two dads who realized the vitamins they were giving their kids were essentially sugar-filled candy in disguise, so they decided to do something about it. Did you know that 93% of kids don't eat enough fruits and vegetables? And we all know that what kids eat instead are chicken fingers, mac and cheese, processed foods, ice cream, and more. And the vitamins that are supposed to fill in those nutritional gaps are based on out-of-date nutritional guidelines from the 1980s. Haya fills in the most common gaps in modern children's diets to provide the full-body nourishment our kids need with a yummy taste they love. My kids absolutely love these vitamins. They're made from 12 farm-fresh fruits and vegetables and supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals known to help support a healthy immune system, energy levels, brain function, mood, teeth, bones, and more. Most children's vitamins are filled with 5 grams of sugar and can cause a variety of health issues. Haya is made with zero sugar and zero gummy junk, yet it tastes great and is perfect for picky eaters. It's non-GMO, vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, nut-free, and everything else You can imagine it's manufactured here in the United States with globally sourced ingredients, each selected for optimal bioavailability and absorption. We've worked out an exclusive offer with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. Dad Tired listeners receive 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, you must go to HayaHealth.com forward slash Dad Tired or enter the code Dad Tired at checkout. That's H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash Dad Tired. HayaHealth.com dot com slash dad tired and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Again, go to hiahealth.com forward slash dad tired or enter the promo code dad tired at checkout. Matthew, so excited to have you on the show with us today, man. For the audience who may not be familiar, tell us who you are and what you're up to these days. My name is Matthew Arbo. I am a professor at Oklahoma Baptist University. It's a liberal arts college just outside Oklahoma City. And we've lived here several years. I got three boys, eight, six, and two. And they're not here at the moment, but they, they are all over the place. My wife, Ashley, is a nonprofit attorney. Wow. When you say all over the place, does that mean like they're all over the house or what do you mean? <laughs> they're all yes. Oh, yeah, they are. I mean, they, yes, they're rambunctious. They're rowdy <laughs> oh, I see, I see what and they feed I, off of each other. Yeah, that's I exactly see. right. In, yes. the, in the general sense of the term, they're just all over the place. They're bouncing off. Yes. I get what you're yes, saying. I'm like, are they just, yes. did they leave the house? Did you like let them? <laughs> no, great follow-up <laughs> question. No, that's yeah. right. They're all, they're just pandemonium. They're raucous. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Well, I know I got four, so I know all, all about the crazy, okay. yeah. uh, home life. Yeah, man. Well, we're diving into a particularly hard subject today, the subject of infertility. This is a subject that is not talked about very often, especially in ratio to how many people experience the pain of infertility in some way. And I'll just say this as we start, we have been walking through journey in life with many people who we're really close to. In particular, there's someone really close to us who has been trying to get pregnant for years and years. 
and they found out they were pregnant. We celebrated that with them because it was a huge celebration. We've been praying for years. And then uh, that we just found out this week that they lost their baby. And so that sting is really personal for me. And, and it feels even this week, man, I'm like, it, my heart is heavy. And so one, I guess, maybe we'll just start with, why do you think this subject is not talked about a lot based on how many people are experiencing the pain of this subject? Yeah, it is so personal. And when it touches us or touches someone close to us, it's a pain that we find it really hard to approach, even if it's our, with ourselves. We don't, don't know how to cope with it ourselves, or we don't know exactly what to say or how to be present to others and what they need from us. And partly that's well-motivated in many ways. We just, we want to be there for people and don't really know quite what to do. I think the reason why it's hard to talk about, one of the reasons why it's hard to talk about is because there is such, there's a lingering stigma associated with it. It's wrongly placed, but it, it exists nevertheless. Um, I think couples who experience it often feel a sense of isolation. They may even feel shame and embarrassment in part for totally understandable reasons. They may not be thinking it all the way through this way, but they might just be thinking like, you know, well, everybody else seems to be able to do this naturally. And we can't, we can't perform this basic biological function that seems to be really common. And there are all sorts of frustrations associated with that, but that's one of just the stigma of childlessness. And that, that can be particularly acute in some Christian circles and within the church, um, sadly. So the, the embarrassment factor and, and this unknown of how long this could continue. I mean, how long, how many years need to go by before a couple of person feels open to saying, well, you know, we've, we've not really been contracepting us that we've, we've really been trying, but we just haven't been able to conceive. And it's a real source of um, frustration and anxiety. So the talking about it seems to, in some ways, acknowledges that there is this thing that has to be addressed and then not really knowing what to do after that. So those are a few initial reasons why it uh, continues to be difficult to talk about it. Why did this subject become important to you? Well, we had some really close family and friends who experienced infertility, prolonged infertility. Uh, Some of them still haven't conceived. They either don't have children or they've adopted. So the personal connections we've had with folks who have for many years worked through this themselves and talked with us and talked about their experience, lay pastor in our church. And so we have fairly regular conversations with folks in our church about their own experiences and the hardships and struggles that they have. Even just very ordinary experiences like walking through the grocery store or seeing a child dedication service, you know, they can be really wrenching experiences for them. So it's just been living life, you know, with people and having those harder conversations. And when people you love are hurting, you want to come alongside, you want to listen up. Yeah. You know, one thing you said there at the beginning was you just kind of, you don't know what to say. And I have found myself in that place as I've walked through life with some friends who are just, they've experienced the pain of either loss or they just can't get pregnant and, and that pain. And it's such a deep pain. And, you know, when a friend or family member comes to you, allows you to share in their grief. What I'm experiencing personally is like, I've run out of words. You know, it's hard for me, not that I don't have compassion. I have the deepest compassion. I just don't know what to say to offer any kind of hope. And that is a frustrating place to be as somebody who's walking alongside of somebody who's experiencing infertility or has lost a child. What would you say to that? Yeah. A lot of us guys want to be able to fix it. 
we want to hear, hear we have the problem okay what can we do about that problem you know this yeah. is just in us we're wired to want to fix it and here's the situation which we are powerless yeah. to do anything about this and so we're we're thrown back on on being present which is for many of us also really really hard because we want to turn from that pain because it's not resolvable we can't do anything about that so what are we going to do and the, the only thing we can do oftentimes is just be present and to listen yeah. and to offer words of affirmation that don't even try to solve the problem. And it did, yeah. I'm so sorry that you're having to do this. I'm so sorry that your baby has miscarried. Just very simple words and gestures are sometimes the best thing and sometimes the only thing that yeah. we can continue to supply. But, it, but I think the key is, is really just is sticking with it, showing up, off, making the offer, making the ask, taking folks to get meals or whatever, you know, like actually having a real strategy that, that really shows a sort of steadfastness. I think that means the most to couples who are walking through that, that you're just a friend and loyal and can be relied upon. That's a deep token of love that's received by them, I think. Yeah. And, and I think what's important to what you just said is making the ask, like it's okay to bring up hard subjects. This is true for any subject, but when somebody's struggling, I think we dance around like, ah, should I bring this up? Is this going to cause them more pain? What I have found with my friends and my family is oftentimes they appreciate just having an outlet to share. Yeah. And it's like, thank you for asking, you know, it's hard. It can be awkward, but it's hard. And it is hard to bring it up sometimes, but man, I, what I've found is it it seems to be really helpful for them to have somebody to talk to about it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I had, I had more thoughts with that. Yeah, one one part of that second yeah. part of that question you asked a minute ago. Yeah, I think in coming alongside a couple, this has been particularly true. I think in my more pastoral experience um, within our church, is helping, and this is, can be really gradual, really gentle and incremental. But helping uh, a couple see that their purposes within God's ongoing work is not limited to whether or not they can procreate that God's purpose for them transcends even that capacity Uh, because the conditions of the new covenant are no longer stipulated on whether or not the couple can have children of their own progeny, but is stipulated on much more transcendent and surpassed things so that they can see themselves as just a different way of being family within God's ongoing mission. That larger way of framing it up can be helpful. It has to be really careful and gentle, but that's, I think, really, really key for couples that are going through this. I want to camp there for just a minute because I think that's a really good point. And I want to unpack it even a layer or two deeper. Put that in practical terms. Somebody sitting across from you, there's a couple sitting across from you. They are deeply hurting and discouraged and have lost hope. And they're tying that to their purpose in God's kingdom. And they're just feeling hopeless. Like, what do you say based on what you just said, like the theology of it, but what do you say practically to that? Yeah, that God, God sees you and God loves you with an open heart. He is present to you. He will always be present to you and his purposes for you, your place in his kingdom is sure. And your faithfulness is enjoyed and appreciated and he will sustain you to the end. Mm. And no matter how hurtful this experience is in the years past, now in the years to come, he is doing work in you and through you that you cannot possibly imagine. Mm. And your place in the church is 
as important as any other family, right? the single person, the couple with many, many children, your purpose and place in the community of faith is so important and so distinct. And so you are part of this family and your place as a different kind of family is so important. We all need to receive from you what you have to offer. And it's, it's unique. You can offer something that many others, in, in some cases, no others can. So there's a way of taking heart and having faith and hope in, in that, that God's purposes, however mysterious they sometimes seem, are, are actually always good. And he can meet you in your pain and guide you in the ways of life. Man, that's gospel truth. That's good stuff, man. And I think that's probably the thing that if we're just honest in addressing the elephant in the room, it's the thing that people keep coming back to those who are suffering from not being able to have a baby, those who have lost a baby, those who are walking alongside of those people is the the question, man, it doesn't feel like God is good right mm-hmm. now. I've been praying and I've been praying and I see other people having babies. Is God even hearing me? Is God even yeah. good? Why would he not answer this simple prayer? What, what would yeah. be your encouragement to them? When it seems as though God is turning an ear from us or that our prayers just wander into the void and we don't have audience, we don't feel we have access to the power of God. There can be any number of reasons for that. But when it comes to this particular experience with infertility, I think that sense of estrangement and loneliness is accentuated. It's sort of heightened in a way that uh, my experience is my own and it's not like others. And, and not only that, I don't, I don't even have, God doesn't seem responsive to that. Yeah. You know, he doesn't hear my prayer. And there are cases in, say, in Genesis, say, where there's a, there's a kind of theme of infertility, right? Abraham and Sarah, Jacob and Rachel. It's a very interesting theme in Genesis that's easy to overlook. And, but it seems as though when you turn there, it seems, well, God answers all those prayers. He overcomes all these instances of infertility. He provides the child. And there's a way of trying to render that so that, you know, everyone who asks will receive in that way. Um, but that's not actually the point of those, those narratives. They're actually telling a bigger story about God's redemptive purpose and what yeah. he intends and the good that he intends for us and the, and the want that he has for us to rely fully on him. And that's so, so hard. It's so, so hard. In the experience of pain and frustration and anxiety and honestly, a, a, a sort of hopelessness, to, see, to find in God the, all the resources and power and grace and mercy we need to uphold us in a day and to uphold us for our lives doesn't mean that we get some solution that God will, in an epiphany or in this grand gesture, in this wonderful miracle, we will receive what we've asked for. That maybe that happens, that happens to some, but not for all. But in any case, whether it does finally come or doesn't, it's a place for the Christian is the same in the sense that we are invited to live with Christ Jesus, to learn from him, to receive from him. That's ubiquitous. That's for all. That's a universal task in discipleship. So we don't have solutions, say, but we, we have an answer in Christ Jesus. That, there that we find our hope. And yeah. Yeah. I imagine that couples often come at this from different angles, that the way that the wife is processing is probably different than the way that the husband is processing. And I imagine that one, now you've, you've already have the pain of, ex- mm-hmm. of going through this experience. And now there's an, another layer where it's, a, it's hurting our marriage because we're not either grieving the same or we're not processing the same and it's hurting us. What I'm sure you've thought about that and you've walked through couples with that experience. What would you say to that? Yeah. The book I wrote, Walking Through Infertility, I use a, a story 
Don Lizzie are the characters in the story. And one of the kind of key points in the story is this, there's the marital tension that they experience because of this. And that's very common for couples who experience prolonged infertility, very, very difficult on the marriage. It often descends into blaming and vitriol and a sense and we're pathological about that. We want to find sort of culprit and we want to find who's responsible. But what's very interesting about that is that the, the data shows that the reasons for infertility are actually fairly even. Uh, so it, uh, it's just often the case that it's the, some problem within the reproductive system of the wife and half the time it's in the mm. reproductive system of the male and even reproductive specialists don't fully know sometimes why mm. couples can't conceive. There's not really an explanation. It's not the case that sort of it's more typically one side or, or the other. In the rush to sort of find out what's going on to explain it, which is what we want to do, if we feel that we can't either bear the burden of that responsibility ourselves or sort of forced it onto others. And it takes a mature and charitable marriage where the, the couple's working together on clear communication to sort of get through that. And they're probably in a way never get fully got beyond. But that's essential to the maintenance of healthy, committed, loyal marriage under those circumstances. And you're absolutely right that um, men and women will often grapple with this in different ways. Personally, women, generally speaking, will be a little bit more open. They'll, they're a little more trusting with their friends about some of these more vulnerable experiences, whereas men are quite the contrary and will internalize and feel a very pronounced sense of shame that it's really, really hard to articulate. So much of contemporary masculinity seems to be bound up in a certain sort of family and being able to have children. And that since the, what the person will call failure is so deeply wounding that it becomes almost impossible to share it. But it's absolutely essential that they do, particularly within the life of the church. Yeah, there are lots of layers to this onion, but two of them I think worth unpacking a little bit is what you just addressed. One, just the the personal relationship between husband and wife. So I imagine there's like a wife, we'll just speak generally, you know, she's, she wants to talk about this or she's hurting or she's still grieving. And I imagine there are a lot of husbands who are like, what I find when I'm working with a lot of men is the problem's over. I can't solve it. I'm ready to move on. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to bring it up. I'm going to bury this. I can't figure it out. So I just, why do we keep talking about it? Like I, I imagine there are yes. a lot of guys who saying that, why do we have to keep talking about it? So on the first layer of the onion, let's address that, you know, for the couple who's having those conversations in their home and the man might be saying, I'm tired of talking about it. I don't want to talk about this anymore. What do you say to that guy? That talking with their spouse about this experience is one of the most decisive ways to reform and rekindle these bonds of unity that they share with one another. I mean, the bond, the marital bond is a covenant. It's a promise to be for one another's good. And if that's been pledged as marital vows do, then talking about this means upholding that. It, it means devoting the attention to nurture another person, to hear what they have to say and to respect what they have to say. And often I think what often enough anyway, what might put uh, the man off, the husband off from having those conversations is because they just cannot deal with the possibility that they don't live up to the standard. Mm -hmm. They haven't met the mark. Even if it hasn't been stated, it was always there. It was sort of in the horizon in mm -hmm. meeting this person and marrying them. And so the expectations there and when it doesn't, when it isn't realized and there's nothing that can be done about it, there's deep, deep anger that often is associated with that. 
and anger at the world, anger at themselves, and then sometimes even with their wife. But those having environs, safe environs in which they can talk to one another about what they really feel is absolutely essential in, in developing and, and nurturing that marital bond, which if it doesn't, those conversations aren't, aren't had, then the, that bond will, will slowly erode and wither. So the, the conversation and openness to conversation about this is just, is just so, so important. Yeah. I just want to like, I really want to emphasize for the listener who's listening right now. So I'm just going to address the listener right now, but man, if you relate to that, just pause and sit in that for a minute. What Matthew just said there is really big. If you don't talk about it, if you don't address it, it's going to be a detriment to your marriage. And if you're listening to this podcast, I imagine you're trying to figure out how to lead your family well, how to love your wife well, how to stumble your way forward. And so this is part of maybe a part of you that has to die to yourself. Maybe this is a a section of your life that Jesus is saying, I know it's hard to bring up. I know it's hard to address this topic. I know you've talked about it for months, if not years, and, and this is hard, but I need you to die again today where you lay down your own life and your own preferences and even your own willingness or your own desire to just shove it under a rug uh, and bring it up again for your wife and for her sake and for her emotional sake and, uh, and press in to hard things. That's what we do as leaders is we press into hard things. And so, man, if you're listening and you feel that pain, this could be in any subject, but if you're listening and you feel that pain, don't run from it, man, run toward it, run toward hard things. That's what good leaders do is they run toward hard things. And, and that would be my encouragement to you. You know, it's one thing to try to bring it up with your wife. I imagine that's hard, but it's, I imagine it's a, a whole nother thing to try to bring it up with other guys. And I think what you just said really speaks to that, but I'd love to have you unpack that a little bit too, is a lot of resources for women to process this, not a lot of resources for men to process this. Right? How do they go about doing this with other guys? Yeah. First thing is your friends, your true friends are your friends. And if they cannot hear you and respect what you have to say and be willing to just lend that ear and to be present, then I don't know what to say about the nature of that friendship. Find yeah, new friends. It, that's what you Yeah, say. I mean, yeah, it seems friends. like there's conditions associated with it. You know, yeah. I mean, that means yeah. that means that loyalty is not really there. Another is, this has been, I think, really helpful for some others, is finding some folks that have also had this experience that may also be further down the road. Mm. You know, whatever ended up happening, maybe they conceived or, you know, maybe they didn't. Those couples that are further down the road that have maintained the relationship, their, their marriage r- remains healthy. Those conversations with folks that are further down the road, those can be so helpful and th- they have so much to offer. So and that could even be intergenerational, you know, you have no idea. And, you know, if you don't know folks that personally have gone through that, that may be further down, I bet, you know, your pastor or somebody close by might. And then you know, there are some counselors that are great with this too. It might be worth thinking about and that even focus on expertise on, on infertility and childlessness and child loss. So those can be also options for sort of fostering that sort of conversation. But with between guys, man, I mean, your friends are your friends. They are, they're meant to be for you. And the risk of saying something that seems to put you in some sort of odd light or that may expose you as some sort of fraud that you believe, you know, that you fear yourself to be that those beliefs, as sincere as you may feel them they're not felt by your friends. Mm. Now your friends, yeah. your friends don't see you as, as a failure. They see, they see you yeah. hurting. That's how they'll respond. That, that, that's the thing to believe about who they are for you. Yeah, man. On both of the things we just talked about talking to your friends and talking to your wife. One thing we talk about a lot in our family leadership program is for guys to learn how to name their emotion. 
So I feel anger, I feel frustration, I feel hopelessness, whatever, but to name it. And so if you can name it with your wife, I'm just really angry. I'm really frustrated. I'm really hurting, really sad. And to say that to a friend, hey, dude, can I just tell you, man, like I'm in a season where I'm really hurting right now. You're allowing somebody to to be used by God to minister to you. It's going to help. There's no way it's not going to help, yes. right? Yes. Uh, and yes, as Matthew said, right. you got friends who, if you've got the friend that's not helpful, then you just lose that friend, bro. There's lots of people that you can go like be friends with who are going to walk alongside of you in a really healthy way. But yeah, I think one thing that you said, Matthew, that was so interesting to me that I had never thought about it from this angle is that we had kind of had these preconceived notions of what life would be. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have kids even if we never talked about yes. it, but like, here's what we're going to do. And now I'm not hitting that goal, man. That is like for a man, especially that is an angle that I don't think we, I've never heard anyone else talk about it like that, but that is so huge for men that feel like we pride ourselves on this. We're going to accomplish the things that we've set out to accomplish in our life. And I have no control of accomplishing this. And now I've got a deep sense of shame. I just want to tell the listener again, man, if that's you and you're sitting in shame, the good news of the gospel is your identity does not rest on your ability to have babies or more babies. That is not your identity. You have a new identity in Christ. And just going back to what Matthew said at the beginning, you have purpose in the kingdom, regardless of your childbearing abilities right now. And so, and man, I really want a listener to hear that because I imagine there's, that was so well put that, the way that you said that. And I think it's such an interesting and helpful angle to really help guys understand that you may have had these preconceived ideas of what life would look like and you can't hit them. And as a result, you're feeling deep shame, but shame is one of the greatest tools of the enemy and the gospel just wrecks all of the shame and you need to rest in the gospel. Yep. Yeah. Man, this is helpful, man. This is a hard subject. You tackle it on a much deeper level in your book. Tell us about your book and where everyone can pick it up. Yeah. Uh, so the book is, uh, was published a couple of years ago. It's called Walking Through Infertility, Biblical, Theological, Moral Counsel for Those Who Are Struggling. It's published with Crossway. It's a very short book. The idea was you could finish it in a sitting or two. And so it explores some of these biblical themes we talked about, kind of like the uh, fertility narrative and Genesis talks about Christian discipleship and the reforming of our affections. That's also the nature of the church as a community where we give and receive from one another, the gifts that God's given us. And then the latter part of the book is uh, kind of explores some fertility treatments that are available, kind of provides some moral assessment so that readers can kind of get a sense of what's out there. If they're commended some sort of reproductive treatment, Hmm. they can kind of see that there's some principles they might want to adhere to. But the idea is that it just provides some guidelines and outline that they can take with them as they kind of walk through this. And if it gives them any sort of supplement or any sort of assistance, that's, that's the idea. Um, They can find that. It's a, I think it's a paper bag, it's ebook. You can find it wherever you awesome. buy books. Well, I think that's a great resource. Pick that up for for you or for a friend or someone that you're, you know, you're walking alongside of life that is experiencing this. Any other resources that you know of that would be like, hey, for sure, grab the book. But any other, are there like online communities or uh, any other things that you like? Definitely, if you're listening to this episode and it's and it's affecting you or someone close to you, here's a resource you could check out right now. Yeah, there's a book that's published with Tyndale. I'm forgetting the title right now. Uh, it, okay. Exactly. Chelsea's the author and she has a personal experience with this. So my, my wife and I are not infertile. We've had some close friends are, but she is herself infertile. So she and her, her husband and um, so that is a slightly different sort of account, but it's very mm-hmm. personal and felt. So I, I commend that book. 
And there's a couple of other books that have come out in the last few years that sort of pursue some of these lines of reflection. As you said, I think the number one place to find support and consolation and help is within our local church communities, you know, within your community group, with your local friends. As far as other online sources, I'm not aware of a lot of really super great online sources in terms of forums, but I'm not sure exactly what to commend for those. Well, not, what, not well safely anyway. Yeah. So I'll have you email me the book when you, when you remember the title, sure thing. If, you, if you look it up and then I'll put that in the show yeah. notes. So if you're listening right now, I'll just go to the show notes on the website and uh, we'll make sure that that book's linked there for you. So both the books are there so you can pick that up right away. Matthew, thanks for taking the time to share a little bit of your heart and shepherd us through this topic. I really appreciate it, man. Yep. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I enjoyed it. Thank you.